0: Oh, uh, oh. Uh. Okay. Everything's working fine. I'm gonna go full screen. Okay. And we're started. Hello everybody, welcome to the sixth episode of the Congay Stray Dogs Podcast.
1: Uh I'm your host today, and I'm here with my best friends and co host Chance Pettigrew and Zachary Cargyle. Uh today we're gonna to be talking about Missing 411. Uh that is a basically a group of cases of just unexplainable disappearances in the woods put together by a ex-police officer called David Politis. Uh we'll jump into it and you'll start to see why these cases are um unexplainable. First off, have you guys ever heard of Missing 411 before I went all crazy and started talking your guys' ears off about it? Nope
2: probably at some point, but not by name.
1: I When I first... The, it used to come up in my YouTube feed, because I watched a bunch of mystery and spooky videos on YouTube. And I was just like, I, I don't know if I'm really interested in people just going missing in the woods. I'd rather look at ghosts and demons than weird people going missing in the woods. But I finally watched a video of it, and I was like, this is actually really, really interesting. Because there is no explanation. If you're interested, there's actually a couple of documentaries about missing 411 cases. And uh, David Politis has put all of these collective cases that he spent years researching into books. There's a whole book series. Um, They are pretty expensive because I looked them up online to try and see if I could get some to read before this episode. But they're like a hundred some bucks a piece. Just for one book, so I was like, but they're probably in audio form somewhere, maybe on Amazon. Um, uh, Over his time, he's researched over uh, 1,200 cases of these people going missing in the woods. And each case, he's actually set up a certain criteria for what is a missing 411 case. And there's 11 points on this criteria list. The first one being a point of separation. Most cases, there's a person with a group, and the person who goes missing moves away from the group. So there's that point of separation. The second is the time of disappearance is most often mid to late afternoon. Hmm. They usually, the third point is boulder fields. They usually take place in granite or rock boulder fields. They usually take place near water. There's always, almost always, an unexplained weather event in close proximity to when the person disappears or when they people start searching for the person who disappears. Oftentimes, that's random heavy snow or rain or fog that is just, it wasn't on the forecast. It's completely unexplainable. huh um, most of the people who disappear have a disability or an illness of some kind um 95% of all documented cases the dog teams they bring in to search can't track anything either they can catch a scent and it disappears in a place that they don't understand why it disappears or they can't even catch a scent at all hmm. um they are almost always, if found, found in areas that the search teams previously searched. Um, they're almost always missing clothing, either certain parts of clothing are removed or all of their clothing is completely gone. Um, they usually don't have a known cause of death. So the coroner just can't determine how they died. Um, and all cases take place in a uh there's geographical clustering of where these key cases take place. And in each cluster there can be between three to 70 and 80 cases in these clusters. Damn. Um and I
0: actually have a map of these clusters, which I will send to you guys. And also I'll pull it up on stream real quick. This is the geographical cluster map. Pull it up on stream. Bigger for you guys to see. Unsurprisingly, the biggest cluster known is Yosemite
1: National Park. Mm-hmm. In or around that area. And we'll actually get into uh, some of that today. And um, Gosh, there's a whole string along that side, huh? I know, right? It, it's, it's confusing. Um, and then we'll get into um, some of the reasons people think these people go missing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, just as a starter, some people have taken this map and lined it up with a map of cave systems throughout the U.S., Um, but they do kind of match, but correlation isn't causation, and also some of the things that happen, just, it wouldn't make sense sense for them to just go missing in a cave. Like, being found in a place already searched with clothes gone, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It doesn't line up with them just going missing in a cave. Um, we're going to do three types of stories today. And this is what I have found through researching a bunch of stories. There's you they're usually children, very old or disabled people, or the complete flip side of that coin, very experienced hunters and outdoorsmen. Hmm. So people who should not go missing. People you would expect to get lost but be able to find their way back pretty quickly. Interesting. The first case is probably, uh, Dave Plytus has said, it's one of the most interesting cases that he has ever done. The man named Aaron Hedges, who went missing September 5th, 2014. He was 38 years old. And he was an experienced hunter. He went missing in a place called the Crazy Mountains. Or the Crazies, people call them for short. Um, and he went elk hunting here all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. literally all the time. This was was his hunting area. Um, Aaron Hedges and two of his friends went to hunt elk in the crazies at 11 a.m. They started up a trail to a place called Campfire Lake, and they were all riding horses, and they all had one mule who was carrying all of their supplies. Mm -hmm. And at one point, the mule went crazy and bucked and threw all of their stuff down the mountain. Awesome. Or or Aaron's stuff in particular down the mountain. Uh once they got to the lake, they started hunting and playing and they had planned to stay for a week. Um so and and Aaron had hunted here many times before and he had you know he knew the land and on top of that he had a GPS. Hey. Um one of the friends had a hunting cache, which is just you guys may know what that is, but if not uh, experienced hunters who have a place they typically hunt will put supplies in a certain area, so they know mm-hmm. it's there. They can go and get it if they run out of something. Um, and his friend told him he had this hunting cache. So Aaron went to to the hunting cache to get what the mule had bucked off the mountain and replaced. Uh, the hunting cache was at a place called Sunlight Lake. Um. And he left for the cache at around 10 a.m. on Saturday. Um, and then later in the day, Aaron's friends called him on their radios they had. And the radios, when you call on it, also ping the locations of where each person is calling from on your GPS.
0: Mm.
1: Um, Aaron, after being pinged on the GPS, they noticed he had walked in the wrong direction. So there's a fork in the trail, and he had gone down the wrong fork. Which was confusing, because it's broad daylight, it's about 60-50 degrees outside, there's no bad weather, perfect day out, he knows the trail, he knows the land, and he walked the wrong direction. They don't know why. Um. Uh. The weather that day, like I said, was 50-60, dry,
0: warm, um... Uh, Sorry, I lost my place. So he walked in this wrong direction. And after
1: that, they just kind of waited. And they're like, okay, he'll realize he walked the wrong direction. He'll go to Sunlight Lake, and he'll be back here by the next day. Um, The next day, he hadn't returned. So the friends started looking for him. And after realizing they weren't going to find him, um, the snow... Completely unexplained snow, because it was 60 degrees out, started falling hard. Okay. And by the time they actually got a hold of the police, it snowed 10 to 24 inches. Really? Within 12 hours of the, the day he went missing and they, when they started searching. Um, and the, the, the temperature suddenly dropped into the teens. From 50 to 60 to the teens, uh, so they called for help, and two counties, because the crazies go into two different counties, both sent their police forces out to
0: help them look. Um, they didn't find anything after looking forever. Uh, they
1: search they searched the regular area, which is like you know a mile to two miles for an experienced hunter of where they went missing. Um, and they brought out a dog team, and they actually had a helicopter
0: that had um, uh, infrared. So it would be able to spot him. Didn't spot him. Dog teams got a scent, lost it, almost immediately. Okay. Um, Until September 9th. Where the dog teams caught a scent, they followed it up to the top of a mountain, where they found his boots. Just his boots, along with
1: an empty cigarette package that, and and his friend said, "This is what this is the brand he smokes." The strap on his backpack that goes around his waist, so the waist straps of his backpack
0: had mm. been cut off. Um, and so this is where they started searching again.
1: Um, and also his water bladder was there. He had a camelback and it was there as well. The searchers, uh, and the weird thing was that, uh, once again, like I said, the searchers were in that exact same spot just a couple of days before, and they saw nothing. Hmm. Um, so what they said was he was probably hypothermic and his, you know, he was a little, he was going a little crazy because of the hypothermia and, um, and they, he took off his boots and he cut off the straps, his waist straps for his backpack, because there's like a little padded slot that you could stick your hands in to try and warm them up. So they're thinking mm-hmm. maybe that's what he tried to do. Mm. They started to search. The dogs found no trace of his scent and there was a total of uh, 60 ground searchers, 20 canine teams and two helicopters.
0: They could not find him. And they ended up ending the search on September twenty-second. And wow. now keep in mind, this is September 22nd, 2014. Let's
1: jump ahead to June 22nd, 2015. This is where it started to get weirder. There's some ranchers who live at the base of the mountain. And uh, they had their father-in-law over and they were working on a fence. And their father-in-law was just kind of hiking around the property looking at the sites because it's a very pretty area. Um, And all of a sudden the father-in-law starts yelling, hey, hey guys, I found something. He had seen an orange vest just lying there. Like a hunter would use to make sure other hunters don't shoot him. Mm -hmm. when they got to the orange vest, the rancher, the guy who owned the area, also found
0: a backpack with Aaron Hedge's license in it. And his gun was propped up on this tree next to the backpack. And it didn't look like it had been there very long. The even weirder part was there's a ridge right?
1: Overlooking the property. Like, you can see the property from on this ridge. And they looked on this ridge, and there was a a canteen sitting up there. Sorry, a thermos that had tea in it. Like, he was just sitting on top of this ridge, drinking tea, looking at safety, no boots on. Very confusing. Still nowhere to be found. No body in the area. Another year ahead, August 18th, 2016, um, some dude ranch guests, which if you don't know what a dude ranch is, basically like city people, they pay to come and live a ranch life for a little bit on their vacation. Yeah. They were coming up on a different ridge. um, And when they get to the top, one of the dude ranchers turns to the rest of the group and says, hey, there's a skull by this
0: tree up here. There's a human skull. And when they got up there, they did find a human skull.
1: And a pelvis, a femur, Aaron's cell phone, and his jacket. None of the bones were broken.
0: And they were like picture-perfect, picked, clean bones. Sounds like someone faked their death. Yeah, the coroner could not determine the cause of death for Aaron.
2: My
1: question is,
2: did they do any sort of DNA testing to see if it could have possibly been his bones?
1: Oh, well, yes, it was. they did dental records, because the skull was there, the, the jawbone and the okay. skull. So, okay. through dental records, they did see that this was Aaron. Hedges.
0: Okay. <clears throat>
2: I was gonna say because you said it was 2016, so they should have definitely been able to do yeah. something like that. So and So if they he walked around that's for
1: pretty Sorry. sus, but he walked around for two years with no boots. Yeah, and he was found. His body was found 14 miles from where he originally went missing. Basically, on the complete other side of the mountain.
3: I don't even understand how he would only make it 14 miles in two
1: years. <laughs> If he even made it that far, and this is what makes these cases so confusing, is how, first off, how did he walk anywhere very far with no boots on
0: in 12-inch snow? Um, Why did he take his boots off? Why was his backpack in a completely
1: different place? Why was he sitting on top of this ridge drinking tea overlooking safety? These ranchers are right down here,
3: well, I mean the it's like someone was planting evidence to make it look like he was going to all these places
0: yeah
2: yeah that's that's kind of where I made the point when you first started bringing this stuff up and talking about it. It's so, like a lot of it just seems like super elaborate, like pranks, essentially, but yeah. like. But like with genuine murder,
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna actually skip this next story because it's not as exciting. Um, it's just for the gist of it. Guy goes hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, he they think they're gonna make it to their next rest stop because they're along the Appalachian Trail. There's places you can sleep, like buildings. Mm. Um, and it starts. It starts. Uh, raining really hard, and he's just tired and about to give up. And finally, his friend is like, You wait here. I'm going to go up the trail a little bit, see if it's there. It is there. He walks 100 meters up this trail. It's there on his right. He misses it. So he just goes back to his friend and says, Hey, we're going to spend the night on the trail. They didn't have tents. So now they're sleeping in the rain outside on the trail. The two of them right next to each other. The friend says in the middle of the night, he has a dream where his friend, whose name is Mark, is screaming bloody murder. He needs help, and he's being dragged off into the forest. So he wakes up from his dream. He looks over. He sees Mark's stuff still there, and he's like, okay, and Mark's fine. He goes back to sleep, wakes up in the morning. Mark is gone. They search forever, they don't find him, until finally three
0: miles off the trail, down the side of the mountain, they find him dead. Completely naked. Uh, Only a couple of scratches. They don't really know how he died. So confusing stuff, once again.
1: Why naked? Like, why are they naked? And that, yeah, that's why pe- what people can't figure out. Why are so many of these people missing clothes? And it's not like they're
3: finding the clothes torn up and bloody nearby. Um, That's actually
1: a funny point. <laughs> sometimes they are not bloody, but torn up, but sometimes they find their clothes folded neatly next to
0: them. Like, somebody was just doing their laundry and left their clothes next to their dead body.
1: So the next one took place September 2004.
2: Okay, real quick, before you get started, I forgot to close my door, I'll be right back.
0: (laughs) Okay. Pretty confusing, right?
1: Yeah, it's just nonsensical. And these are all real stories, mind you. These are all real stories from the police or even people that were with them that did investigating.
2: Also, I would like to say hello to Ashley in chat.
1: Hi, Ashley. Thanks for joining. Sorry, I'm like reading and very intent right now, so I'm not paying attention to chat. So if somebody says something in chat, one of you, please tell me and respond. That's why I did. So this next person, another experienced hunter, on top of that, ex-Marine. His name's Robert Springfield. He went missing September 2004. He was 49 years old. Uh, Robert and his two sons left their home in Wyoming to do elk hunting, once again elk hunting, on the Crow Reservation in Montana. They were actually a part of the Crow tribe, so they had permission to hunt on this land. Um, the spot they were hunting was called Black Canyon, which was a particularly rugged and difficult area to traverse. But Robert, being a former Marine, an avid outdoorsman, and his, son, his son's Robert was their idol, so they had been here many times as well, um, they could handle it. And they had handled it many times. Um, They arrive on September 19th and immediately start bow hunting. The plan was for his two sons to take shots at the elk on one side of the canyon to scare the elk towards their father, who would then Mm -hmm. actually kill the elk. Take the kill shot? Yes. And that whole day, the sons hadn't seen any elk was getting dark, so they went to see their father at the meeting spot and he wasn't there Hmm. um so they sat there for two hours just because their father they know he's an experienced guy they're not worried about Uh it they're like oh he probably is just still still waiting um and two hours later he hadn't shown up um, and they weren't too worried about it still, but regardless, they went and told the authorities. Uh, and the authorities launched a, launch a search, um, and once again, they had that thermal imaging camera. Mm-hmm. And this was over a canyon with not many places to hide. So this thing in the dead of night could easily pick out somebody.
0: A fart.
1: Yeah, it could pick up anything. Didn't see Robert at all. Um, uh, and then they found nothing. The next day, they brought out a huge search team, dogs, ground team, planes, and helicopters, still nothing, and they would continue to find nothing until eventually, weeks later, they just call off the search. This is where the story gets double weird. One year later, in October of 2005, A hunter who didn't know anything about Robert or his disappearance was walking through Black Canyon in the middle of a dense wooded area where he suddenly heard a crow screeching. At first, he ignored it until it got so incessant that he finally turned in the direction of where this crow was screeching. Um, The hunter said when he finally stopped to listen, he had a weird feeling that the crow was trying to tell him something was trying to communicate something to him and eventually even though he's a little creeped out he walks off in the direction of this crow and he finally gets to a place where he can see it and is sitting on top of this eight foot tall gnarled stump um in the middle of a clearing and the stump kind of looks like it was just it used to be a tree that had been snapped in half Um, the crow turns and looks directly at the hunter and stops screeching. And they just kind of stare at each other for a bit. And then the hunter steps into the clearing. So at first he was in the tree line. He steps into the clearing. And as soon as he does, the crow looks straight down at the bottom of the stump. And the hunter follows the crow's gaze. And when he looks down, he finds a human skull at the base of the stump. And at this point, he's terrified. So he just runs out of the forest, making a note of where this is, and runs away. He gets out of the woods. He calls the police, and the police come out, and he shows them where he found the skull. And the crow's gone. Um, And it wasn't just a skull. There was a femur bone. Next to the skull, there was a pair of boots that had been neatly placed next to each other. And next to the boots was a belt that had been tightly wound up. You know, like you, like, roll your belt Mm -hmm. up. And then next to that was a jacket that hadn't been folded, but it had been balled up. And inside of the jacket was Robert's ID.
0: The FBI was actually called out. And the FBI had been to these things before.
1: Because at this point, with so many missing cases like this, the FBI gets called because something has to be happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, the FBI determines that Robert must have been shot. But after the coroner did his report, that doesn't make sense. So the things the FBI said next is that, oh, well, a falling tree must have fallen on him. But
3: then, it, how did he get
1: there? Yeah, if a tree I fell on him, where was the rest of his body? Yeah. Why were his clothes so neatly laid out next to him? Where was his bow and arrows? If he was attacked, his sons weren't far away, so they could have easily hurt him, especially yeah, in this... They would have heard
3: a gunshot.
1: Yeah, especially in this canyon, where sound so easily travels. And they left his wallet with his money, his ID, his cards, everything in it. So what would have been the motive for killing him? Yeah. And the weirdest part is his remains were found... Not far from the original campsite area, like within the search area, where they had searched a million times before. And he wasn't there when they searched the first time.
2: So, Ashley brings up a point. Always listen, listen, always listen to animals and your intuition. The crow could have been the man's spirit because crows are linked to death and supernatural.
1: Not to mention, Funny. not to mention...
2: He was part of the, what, Crow tribe? Or they were on. Like he that. was
1: part of the Crow tribe, and they were on the Crow reservation.
2: So maybe he was held captive for a while, and the body was placed after search was stopped. That's an interesting theory. It, it doesn't it, really make a whole lot of sense, unless it's, like, my, my standing kind of joke theory is just that it's... Basically, just one big murder prank.
1: <laughs> well, I think well, like, when I when I told you one of these stories before, Cargo, you were like, "What if it's just one big serial killer, like generation-spanning serial killer group?" Yeah, that hides out in the woods and kills people. Yeah, dude. What the if the FBI's in on it?
2: Time doesn't always have to have a motive. Yeah, dude, doesn't always have to have a motive. Like, but most of them do, which is weird. Mom- most do, but they're, they're, they're a fair share that are just like, eh, they were there. Why not?
1: Okay, let's move to our third case. The case of
0: Jackie Copeland, a two-year-old child. Oh, God. May 14th, 1950.
1: Uh, Jackie was playing with his two older sisters at a picnic they were having in Pleasantville, Pennsylvania. The picnic was for uh, the company Jackie's father worked at. And so it wasn't just him and his family there. It was hundreds of people who worked for this company. Um, the, the picnic took place on a hill right next to a very swampy forest area. And the parents, they're conversating with bosses and coworkers, and they get distracted with a conversation. And so they they're having this conversation, not looking at Jackie and his sisters. They finally turn back around to look. Jackie's not there, but his two sisters are. So they run over to the two sisters, and they're like, where's your brother? Where's Jackie? And they don't know. So the father turns around, and he screams to the entire party, my son's missing. Help me find my son.
0: And so these hundreds of people start looking for Jackie. And after 15
1: minutes of searching with these 100 people, now keep in mind, This is an extremely swampy forest area, and Jackie is two years old. He couldn't have gotten far. So, they didn't find him. They called the police. The police come out with dog teams. Dog teams couldn't pick up a scent. And once again, no clues to where Jackie went. And it started to get dark, so the police had to call off the search for the next day. Because it's, it's unsafe to go into those woods. But the parents of Jackie, they still stood where their picnic was all night with a group of some of the people who were there at the picnic just screaming for Jackie, trying to get his attention. Um, the next day, the police come out. They start walking through this forest again. They're like, Jackie couldn't have gone far. If we find him, he's going to be in within this small area. Because he's two. This is a swamp. He can't have gone very far. But about two miles away, there's a there's a group of searchers way outside the search area and they're at this like uh it, it's an uh oil um shit, what's it called? It's an oil plant, right? Mm-hmm. And Close enough. It take a, the oil plant is situated on this small area of land, basically surrounded by by a very deep moat of swamp. Mm -hmm. Super muddy, deep water. And the searchers, they're just kind of on this other side of this moat, looking at the, the factory, when one of them notices a child look out from behind a tree, right next to this factory. And the child sees them looking at him, and he ducks back behind this tree really quickly. And they... They wade across this swamp, they swim, they get there, and it's Jackie. And they take him back to the parents. The parents take him to the hospital. The hospital's like, there's nothing wrong with him besides a couple of scratches. So they get Jackie back home, and uh, he's fine. Nothing really is wrong with him. The next day, the local... um, uh, What's that word? Like the news station.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They come out to ask the question that everybody's wondering. What happened to Jackie? Did you talk to him? He's two yeah. years old. He can talk, but in the, the, the parents said in his very childlike kind of gibberish, his story was still always consistent when they asked him. Mm-hmm. And Cargill, there's a short little thing uh, about Jackie.
2: Yeah, you you mentioned before we got started you wanted me to read what a two year old said. So I'm gonna. (laughs) I had a feeling this was what it was gonna be.
1: I'm gonna send this to you, and you can read, uh, what Jackie said. And this is through the words of his parents, so it's not in the childlike gibberish, except for some of the things just don't make a whole lot
0: of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Excuse me.
2: Now, before I read this, I know you're still in the process of getting ready to send it, but before I read this, I'll just come right out and say I'm the skeptic of a, the group for a reason. I have a strong feeling this is just the parents trying to be like, ooh, spooky thing, 15 minutes of fame, <laughs> just because I know how horrible people are. I love how you started that with
0: Carl Cardinal- Cardinal- to read.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it says... While they were at the picnic, Jackie was playing when he saw someone looking at him from behind a tree. After looking at this person, Jackie just kind of felt like this person wanted him to come into the woods. So he got up from where he was playing and walked to the forest. As he got closer, the person scampered further and further into the forest, and Jackie just kept going after them. As Jackie continued to walk towards this person, who just seemed to move quickly further and further into the forest he reached a place called that he called the awful dark he said while he was in the awful dark there were tons of wild animals around him that he couldn't see that were just howling and barking at him and they wouldn't get any closer to him because he was with a giant in his own words and the giant led him through the forest to the plant.
1: Now, it's easy to discount Jackie's story as just a confused child or parents wanting some, their 15 minutes of fame. But what isn't easy to discount is how confusing it is that a two-year-old child somehow got two miles through an impassable swamp area. The only explanation... Yeah, and the only rational explanation the police could come up with was that Jackie had some kind of help getting to the plane.
3: Did, does it say anywhere if he was covered in muck? Because had he crossed the moat nope. the way that you would think? So okay,
1: he was completely clean besides a couple of scratches. His body, I mean, he was a little bit dirty because he'd been in the woods walking.
3: Yeah, but but not covered in swamp juices. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, That's the story of Jackie. The awful dark, huh?
2: Ashley would like to know, has the story been followed up as Jackie got older?
1: Um, Yeah, when was this? 1950. I don't know. Um,
2: 1950. Because I
1: just kind of looked up the the story of Jackie, and usually with this kind of stuff, they don't follow up. Uh, There was one girl who went missing who she actually
2: in his 70s now
1: yeah and and there was a there was a story about a girl who uh, wanted to go to a waterfall while she was with her grandparents mm-hmm. and uh, she was like real young and so she did that child thing where the parents said we can't go to the waterfall it's too dangerous to go through this part of the woods the girl just kind of sat on the trail and refused to move so the grandparents kept walking because they were like she'll get up and follow us eventually because she'll get scared and when they turned back around, she was gone. And Natural, they,
2: f- being irresponsible.
1: Uh, they found her at the top of this very, very, very dangerous bluff mm-hmm. that she should not have been able to get up to. And she said she had an imaginary friend named Eliza or something like that, who showed her how to get to the top of this bluff and how to get back down. And, and this girl actually has her own YouTube channel now, I don't remember the name, um, where she described that she hasn't had a imaginary sand friend since, and she didn't have one before that. And the weird part is, there was a girl who had fallen off of this
0: bluff years ago, named Eliza. Oof. So that's, that's kind of an interesting story of
1: a person who actually did follow up with their story as an adult.
3: Yeah, it'd be interest. I I would be really interested in hearing what Jackie had to say once they
2: got older. Ashley screamed, "Supernatural!"
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, we're about to get to the most supernatural one of them all. If you guys are prepared.
2: Uh, real quick interjection. Uh, with Eliza and that girl and everything, despite being as much of a skeptic as I am, there are stories from. At the very least, when I was very young, um, my grandparents' house that they used to live in, uh, had this back hallway that was lined with like lockers that you'd see in a school kind of deal. It was a really weird hallway, but it went from like their kitchen all the way, all the way along the back of the house to their garage, and had the back door going to the backyard and everything. And there was a door that led to a bedroom in there. And so we, we have stories of every single one of us kids sitting in that back hallway, talking to people. And sometimes it would be relatives that had died before we were even born. And we'd just be sitting back in that hallway Having conversations,
1: I I genuinely think that children are on a similar level to to dogs and cats when it comes mm. to being able to perceive supernatural things.
2: Children live within the liminal space,
1: and and once they get older, it's it's like it's like Polar Express. Once you get older, you start to you start to not you believe, stop believing in Santa Claus, and so you can't see Santa Claus
2: to be fair, I'd kind of prefer not to believe in Santa Claus because I don't want some dude breaking into my house every year. <laughs> That's just awkward.
1: Okay, so the the last story is about two people, uh, Linda Ortega and her brother, Eddie Huff. Linda was 53 years old when this story happened. I don't know how old Eddie was. I couldn't find that. Um, but this wasn't too long ago in, in 2012. So, like, the first story, not really. Um, And this starts in September. Uh, Linda went to visit her brother, Eddie, in St. Joe, Arkansas. St. Joe is a really rural part of Arkansas, and it's about a mile away from a national park called Buffalo River. Uh, Buffalo River is a thick, forested, mountainous area with hundreds of, like, small bodies of water sprinkled within. What what
2: are you laughing about, Mark? What's that face? Uh, just Ashley sent a message in chat that to to me as the skeptic of the group was just kind of funny to read. What did you say? Uh, she says children and animals are able to see supernatural because they're not quite influenced by social media and everything that takes your openness to that spectrum away. <laughs> and really, the part that got me the most was specifically the shout out to social media because. That's a fairly recent phenomenon. Well, any media,
3: I think, is what she's meaning.
2: Probably. But just the the phrasing and all just jumped out at me, and I kind of had to react a little bit. But go ahead.
1: Um, so Buffalo River is just this thick forested mountainous area with bodies of water sprinkled in it. Um, and on Saturday, September 22nd, the two decided to go out for a walk because Eddie had heard of this great fishing spot and he wanted to go find it. Uh, while looking for the fishing spot, they stepped off the trail and they got turned around. And they weren't worried because they were like, it's broad daylight. The trail can't be that far away. Uh, and so they just kind of started looking for the trail. But by night, they hadn't found the trail. Um, and so they had to stay in the woods for the night. Um, eventually. We don't really know what happened between this point and the point I'm about to mention. Besides that, at some point, Eddie and Linda got split up. Oof. On the third day of them being missing, Eddie randomly emerged from the woods onto the trail. But he didn't go to the authorities to report his sister Linda missing. He hopped in his car and went straight home. And when he got home, his family, like any normal family, was like, where have you been? You've been missing for three days. Where's Linda? Are you okay? What's going on? And Eddie just said, Linda's fine. I dropped her off with a family member. You know, we're fine. I don't really know what's going on. And so they keep going. You know, they're pressing him farther and harder and harder. They're like, Eddie, what happened? You need to tell us exactly what happened. You need to tell us exactly what happened to Linda, what's going on. And Eddie realized he didn't remember. Huh. Eddie had no idea what happened. He didn't even know he'd been missing for three days. And finally, the family calls this family member that Eddie said he left Linda with. And the family member said, No, Linda's not here. And we haven't talked to Linda or Eddie at all. And so the family call the authorities. And the authorities launch a search for Linda. And this, now it's, it's Thursday, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, uh, five days from when they went missing. And there's a group of ATV searchers. After not finding Linda for those first two days after Eddie returned home, there's these ATVs going about two miles from the entrance to the park, right off the trail, and they find Linda alive. Just in the Hi, woods.
0: For five days? For
1: five days. Jesus. In, in the woods, alive. Um, so they get Linda. They get her to the hospital and Linda has no idea what's going on. She also didn't realize she'd been missing for 5 days, but they got to the hospital and she was just kind of fine. Once again, a couple of scratches on her body, but she was perfectly fine. She dehydrated? Not dehydrated at all. No medical After- issues at all. After 5 days, and so she's in this hospital. Um and she just kind of starts to randomly break out of her confusion and her memories start flooding back and she starts to tell a story of what happened to her. And this is what Linda said happened to her and Eddie. Um. So, according to Linda, she and Eddie had gone into the park to search for his fishing spot and they stepped off the trail to find it, but they didn't find it and ended up getting lost. That night, they hadn't found the trail, so they were forced to sleep outside in the wilderness. Then the next morning they got up and continued to look around and yell for help. And they're in a dense part of the forest with no one around. So that night they once again hadn't had to sleep outside. The next day is when Linda says start things, start things started to get really foggy. She said she woke up and for some reason, she just started sprinting into the woods. She said, um, she thinks it's because she thought Eddie was hurt, and she was running to get help. So it, it also must have been around this time that Eddie just kind of got up and walked out of the park. Uh, Linda said, while Eddie uh, was meandering his way out of the park, she was just sprinting through the forest like a maniac craving for help from someone, And she said that miraculously, she saw what looked like a group of hikers. In Um, She started yelling for them and waving at them, trying to get their attention,
0: and they all stopped and looked at her. But they didn't give her any sign that they were going to help her or interact with her at all. They just stood there and stared at her. And then
1: she said she got about 100 meters away, and instead of finally acknowledging her and coming to help her, they all ducked behind trees and hid from her. And she said that she was creeped out at this, but she really needed help. So she started walking towards them. And when she got about 50 meters away, they all poked their heads out and then quickly poked them back behind the tree. And they just were not going to help her. And that's, that, huh? that's when she got really scared and just started backpedaling. And while keeping her eyes on this area they were hiding, she backpedaled to once again about 100 meters away. And they finally came up from behind the trees and just continued to stare at her. Linda said that this is where her memory gets the foggiest because the next thing she remembers is laying out on the ground in the pitch black woods and she's hearing footsteps, which she believes is this group of hikers that are walking toward her. And it's so dark, she can't see anything. Um, But all night, she hears these footsteps of these people walking around the perimeter of her where she's laying on the ground. Um, And then she says, from then on, her memories are all muddled and mixed up. But she has one memory that stands out because it is so terrifying to her. Um, But she said, on the last morning she was there, she woke up after lying on this ground all night long and it was still dark out but the sun was just coming up so there was enough light so that she could make out the the like layout of the forest and she sat up and she got immediately got the feeling that she was being watched and as as she's sitting there she hears a noise to her right like rustling in the, in the forest and she turns to look and she's got all these goosebumps forming all over her body Standing next to a tree about 25 meters away is a dark silhouette of a man who's just
0: staring. He doesn't have any features. He's just a shadowy figure. And She reels back in horror
1: and then realizes there's another one and another one and another one and another one all around her. They're just all surrounding her in this forest, just staring at her. And she said at some point they must have realized that she can see them too. Because they just turned around, sprinted off into the forest in all different directions. Jesus, what the hell?
0: And she has no
1: idea from that point on what happened to her until she was found by searchers.
0: And that's the story of what happened to Linda Ortega. What a weird sequence of events.
1: <laughs> well, and there's a lot of stories like this. There's a couple of people after being found in their cases who have claimed that they saw their family members while waiting to be found in a cave in the middle of the forest. Huh.
2: I mean, that one's an actual like phenomenon, though, where... It's it's essentially hallucinations, but it's, you're so hopeful to be found and rescued that you start seeing the people that you're hoping will find you.
1: Uh, what do you make of this story? though? Do you guys have any theories? Uh, they weren't eating mushrooms, were they? Probably not.
2: Yeah, I don't know. There's, to me, there's just enough missing context so that I'm like could be any number of things um that's so strange and why would the guy think that
3: he had dropped off the sister
1: yeah and I think that's one of the more confusing parts is Eddie's reaction yeah like hers can be explained away as okay maybe at some point she was just confused i mean she was 53 yeah. So there's a chance that she, at the stress of being in the woods, just got her so confused that she ran off into the woods.
3: But but the guy just to get up and leave the woods, go home and then be like, oh yeah, I dropped her off.
1: Yeah. And just leave like he knew where he was going too. Yeah. It's very weird. and And the fact that, you know, one could say that maybe Eddie hit her over the head with something. And that's why she got confused and he was trying to kill her. And so he just left the woods but she wasn't harmed in any way. Wasn't even dehydrated. She
0: was fine.
3: I understand as well, there's no way you're not dehydrated after five days of stumbling through the woods.
0: Um.
1: Okay, so this is where this audio clip I've been talking about comes into play.
2: Okay. Uh, really quickly, Ashley mentions maybe he attacked her and thought she had died and was making a cover-up. And she was too scared to say anything. Question mark
3: no, because there was not there'd be no reason for her to be afraid because she was found by others, people other than him. so she would have been in all kinds of protective custody had she said anything.
2: I mean the him attacking her thing and making up a cover story kind of makes sense
1: but also the cover story he came up with was that he dropped her off at a family member's
2: house that yeah the people
1: like, he's telling this story have access to
2: but also it's it's a matter of missing context again cuz like we don't know how smart this guy is yeah he could have he could have just been panicking and making up the first thing that came to his head and he was just like oh uh dropped he with this person
0: i like, mean
2: we that we just don't know without knowing everything that was there that happened and also Actually,
1: one of my other things is if she was attacked why not just say she doesn't remember it? if she's scared of why make yeah, up, why make
2: up all this
0: stuff yeah
2: And see, that brings me back to my skepticism, or I guess more cynicism, just 15 minutes of fame. You're more likely to get people thinking, hey, this is interesting if you make up a story about random hikers surrounding you in your sleep and staring at you, then, ah, yeah, this dude just kind of left me.
3: Ashley also makes a good point. She said your brain also blocks trauma to protect you. So even even things that you think you are remembering perfectly clearly, if it's a traumatic situation, your mind alters it to be not nearly what it actually was. So this story that she gives could just be the way that she's able to remember what exactly happened, but isn't quite
1: accurate. Well, regardless, I don't think we'll ever know what actually happened to them in
2: those. Days. Oh no. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, unless, um, unless we invent time travel and can go yeah. back and actually witness it, there's no way we can know about any number of things.
1: And I don't. There's no possible way to know what happened to any of these people in these yeah. stories. Any of these missing four one one cases, and that's why they're so interesting. We just mm-hmm. don't know. Um, I mean, that's,
2: that's most things like this, though. You just don't know.
1: There are tons is. of theories, and that's what we're about to get into, and you guys can give your own thoughts on maybe the overarching theories behind this. Uh, You can go to into the wild. You can go skeptical. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to give you some kind of base knowledge, some weird things that people have talked about, um, you said there was an audio clip? Uh, I'm going to read a little bit about it first, and then Chance, I'm going to have you read the scientific research that these people had done on this audio clip. Um, Heck yeah. And then I'm going to play it. So there's a hunter's camp like just outside Yosemite, which is the biggest missing 411 cluster in North America. And it's, this hunting camp has been around since the 1950s. Like, and it's in the deep woods. You have to take horses to get there. And it's confusing to find your way because trees fall down and the topography changes every single time you go. But uh, a bunch of experienced hunters used to camp out there once a year. And the guy who who first started it, one of the founders said it, it was as close as he felt to God in his entire life. Is just him being out in these woods, surrounded by nature. Okay. Uh, now, for context, this area does have a lot of bears, and they're used to bears being around. So normally they sleep outside, under the under the stars, but they do have like a shelter area built, it has a door and everything made out of wood. If there's a bear, because they can hear the bear, it's very quiet up. Mm-hmm. They go into the shelter and they hide. Um, okay. and in the 1970s, they thought they heard a bear, um, but they realized it was some noises that they'd heard before, but this time they were closer. And they weren't a bear, for sure. And one of them had a camera, and they recorded these noises, and um, you can hear in the recording um that. Uh, the people are talking behind him. There's three campers there. It's the guy recording, and there's two people whispering behind him, and the rest of it is recording, and um, uh, they respond to these noises by trying to copy them every once in a while. mm mm-hmm. um, Like a callback? Yes. They, they're trying to, you know, respond to it and see if it acknowledges them. Hmm. And, um, they wanted scientific validation. So they could prove to people that the audio they had weren't were wasn't faked. So they actually sent it to a couple of
0: different scientists who said this. Um, Is it my portion to read? Yep. Alright.
2: <clears throat> I, I have
3: some uh,
2: preconceived notions going on but I'm going to hold off on them until we finish the story and see if see if they change as we learn
0: more. Ashley shouted, Bigfoot! Bigfoot! They
3: submitted their tapes to Dr. R. Lynn Curlin, professor of electrical engineering at the University of Wyoming. The analysis revealed that the sounds were made by a creature physically larger than a man, based on pitch and sound, height estimated between 7 foot 3 and 8 foot. Uh, there were more than one creature recorded. Uh, the format frequencies found were clearly lower than a human, and their distribution does not indicate that they were a product of humor, human vocalizations or speed altercation. It also concluded that the tape shows no indication of being pre-recorded
1: or re-recorded. Oh, that's fucked. Also keep in mind, it's 1973. <laughs> to do... To, to fake something like this would be pretty difficult yeah. in 1973.
0: Yeah. Hmm. You ready for well... me to play these noises? I am I ready for the say, noises. Let's,
2: let's hear the noises, and I'll
3: turn in my headset up so I can hear
2: them I, real good. I'm not gonna turn mine up. I might turn mine down. <laughs> All I see is Discord. Wait, can you not even hear Discord,
0: no, Ashley? <laughs> There's two of them across the creek at the big rocks. What? do go on. Go oh, Go <sickering> Go <laughs> <starts> <sharp>
3: sound like some guy screaming in a different language at the end there
2: Uh, (laughs) I would like to have a word with Dr. Arlen (laughs) Curlin how on earth do you hear that and think oh it has to be something that's about eight feet tall
0: I remember that could have just been
1: a hound dog. I remember them saying well, something like, about the vocal range. Yeah, and also he probably had a better, fresher recording of it than we did. Probably.
2: Yeah, but also like the first section, the
0: ooh, ooh,
1: that sounded like a wolf to me or a dog.
2: Yeah, to me that sounded like some sort of wild dog. And then the thing that sounded like some dude talking just sounded like. Some person shouting at them in a language that we don't understand. Like that didn't sound to me like a creature, creature with a height estimated between seven foot three and eight feet tall.
1: And at the end like, of it, it literally just sounded like a gorilla. Yeah, yeah it did it, sound like I was thinking that was myself. It didn't
2: sound like any sort of like cryptid type creature to me. It sounded like various wild animals and potentially people. The one thing that did throw me off was right after the wolf type sounds sounded like either to me, like dogs growling and fighting each other or someone like screaming like, ah, it's hurting me. Ah, that part? The, the, no, the real like gravelly growly section that was real high pitched. But I mean, again, like I said, just kind of sounded like dogs fighting to me. I didn't, I didn't hear anything in that that was too, yeah, Ashley, Ashley says it sounds like a person giving an animal call or commuting, communicating to another person from across a long distance. So, like, yeah, I, I don't think that one's that weird.
1: Now, this was sent out to two different scientists. One was this curling guy. Another guy was another one from a more prestigious university. And they both determined pretty much the same thing. Um, but the biggest determination was that the tape hadn't been messed with in any way. So it hadn't been re-recorded or pre-recorded yeah. or recorded over at all. Hmm.
2: Also, to me, I think it's funny that they got a professor of electrical engineering to analyze this tape instead of any sort of like audio engineering engineer, or,
0: yeah. the second guy was an audio engineer
2: yeah ah. or like some sort of uh what is it an anthropologist or whatever that studies animals and stuff like that
1: um an anthropologist
2: i'm not sure i either way just point is uh an animal scientist that knows like wild animal calls and stuff like that
1: um the audio technician did say that um, the sounds based on the pitches that he heard and the variety of pitches he didn't think that they could actually come from a human um it's also good to keep in mind that it would be very dangerous for somebody to stand as far away as they were from this camp in the middle of the night because there's this is the middle of the woods next to yosemite there's tons of wild animals out there um bears uh i think mountain lions cougars a bunch of different shit in these woods wolves wolves so it's a very dangerous area to be standing whooping in the middle of the night yeah um so there are some things that you know, scientists have said it doesn't sound human, the pitches don't sound like they could be made by a human. It's dangerous for somebody to stand to be standing out there. The ending sound sounded like a gorilla and I'm pretty sure that's one of the animals, one of the few animals not around the Yosemite area.
2: <laughs> well, I, I want to know how they think, oh, this sound couldn't be made by a person. Because, like, I thought several of the sounds sounded very easily replicable by a human.
1: Well, and
0: like I like said. Even,
2: even the early like whooping and stuff like that, whoop! to me, just a person can go,
0: whoo, and well, it
2: sounds just like that. So,
1: But like I said, they also probably had a better recorded track. They could actually see the audio, so it's not like us just listening to it. They could see the audio. See the waves; they can determine pitch differently than we can. So maybe they did hear something different from us. That's possible,
0: uh, and it's also what we have. Yeah,
1: it's also of note that the guy who um, recorded this footage—he was actually in this documentary—after um, this night stopped going to the spot for hunting. In fact, this was the his section with. David Politis was recorded in that spot, but it, it was the first time he had been back there since 1973, and they went I mean... back there in broad daylight. <laughs> they went back there in broad daylight. A little bit safer.
2: Yeah, to be fair, I, I I talk all this stuff about, uh, it just sounds like, like wild dogs or like other people, I still wouldn't go back myself. If I heard that in the middle of the night, I wouldn't go back. Yeah, even if it is just (laughs) a person,
1: that's... (laughs)
0: Well,
1: and also, they said that some of the other noises they recorded um, Mm -hmm. because they said, in their opinion, these creatures mimic things and can mimic things very well. And they said some of the things they heard included a car door slamming, included honking, a train horn in the middle of the night Hmm. in the middle of the woods.
3: Takes it back to Bigfoot. Isn't Bigfoot Bigfoot supposed to be really good at mimicking? I have no idea. Uh,
1: But what I wrote was this. These noises may put some strange truth to some of the confusing found children missing cases where they say things like and this is a very common occurrence with found children very similar to Jackie they see, say things like, Mr. Wolf took care of me and fed me berries, mm-hmm. or Mr. Bear took care of me and cuddled me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a couple of stories where, in the middle of the night, uh, there's some children, some teenagers camping with their five year old sister. And this mm-hmm. five year old sister was sitting at the front of the tent with the front of the tent unzipped, and they were sitting in the back. And they said oh. that a bear ran by their tent and scooped up their five-year-old and held her like this and ran on three legs away from the camp. Other notable instances are uh, some children who ran 11 miles into the woods and hid in a rotted out log, who said they were being chased by a bear and a gorilla, and that's why they ran 11 miles. And another missing child who wasn't found, but a group of hikers, who were walking along a trail, said that they heard noises in the woods, and then they looked up. They saw a bear running on two legs, with somebody slung over their back like a potato sack.
0: No, thank you. I thought you were about to say, no, they didn't.
2: Because <laughs> that's what that was, was going through my head. There's no way.
1: So, let's go over some of the common theories for missing 411.
2: Um, uh, Ashley goes, this sounds too fake, XD.
1: <laughs> uh Bigfoot. <I> agree, Ashley. <laughs> Bigfoot or other similar large intelligent predators. Um serial killers kidnapping people. Uh people falling into cave systems. And alien abductions. <laughs> Those I
3: think alien abductions probably the least plausible.
1: Yes. But it's also of note that a lot of these uh, missing 411 map locations are also where a lot of the alien abduction, you know, we got abducted cases are reported. Now, most of those are probably fake, so they don't really hold any water in this case.
2: And to be fair, you could probably find some weird, random, arbitrary statistic and overlay that map onto these and be like oh look they're connected oh it's like the cave system. yeah like just because maps show similar demographics doesn't mean any sort of relation at all like
1: so i want to hear your guys' theories uh what do you think this could be Uh, and then i want to tell one more story about an entire town plagued by missing 411 cases. But I'll listen to you guys first.
2: Uh, before, before we get into that, Ashley says, OMG, alien abduction could be a whole podcast on its own. We actually do plan yeah. on covering aliens as a topic in one episode in the future. Yep. So, stay tuned for that. Um, as for my theories, I really like... Just more as a joke theory, I really like the whole multi-generational, like serial killer cult, just playing pranks on law enforcement and stuff. <laughs> just because that seems just, come on, <laughs> I like I don't I don't have an actual reason for it. I just like the way it sounds. <laughs> as like some weird movie or TV series or something. It sounds like
1: something that uh American Horror Story
2: would do as a season. Ooh, it actually does. Maybe that's why I like it so much. <laughs> as for legitimate theories, I mean I think specifically when it comes to the kids going missing and being found X miles away from wherever they went missing Think about how many kids, like in cities, will wander out their front door and end up three cities over somehow just because they were just left to wander like that kind of stuff happens all the time. Who's to say it would be any different if they were in the woods somewhere? They just get curious and start wandering um as for things like the 53-year-old and, like, grown adults and stuff like that. That's where it gets a little bit more difficult for me to actually come up with a proper theory.
0: Um, Those are less explainable.
2: Yeah. Because it's it's much harder to think, oh, a 25-year-old is just gonna wander like a toddler would, you know? Yeah. Like that's just not a thing that happens, yeah, an adult tries to
3: find their way out of situations
1: yeah um,
3: so it's also
1: a, little... a strange note because they talked about the FBI getting involved in some of the cases, right mm-hmm. the most of the time, and this happens a lot, the FBI will show up to these search parties unannounced and they won't help search. They will take notes and they will. A question people about what happened and who was missing and what happened before they were missing and then they'll leave. Hmm. And have no other thing, nothing else to do with it. So it's possible that the FBI is also interested in why these people are going missing and trying to figure it out. Or they're
2: in <laughs> Multi-generational serial killers coming together. <laughs>
1: Welcome to another episode, by the way, where we talk about how fucked up the U.S. government is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that is a that is a plan, if it doesn't get us in too much trouble.
1: Alright, Chance, hit us with your theory. I want to hear what you got your thoughts on.
3: I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, because, like... I'm open to so many abnormal scenarios that it could... Feasibly be anything, right? Like, the noises from the campsite, from the creature, who knows? Could have been a dog, could have been Bigfoot. <sighs> Hard to say. The the two the older siblings, the guy driving himself home, and the, the girl
0: somehow not being dehydrated after five days. It's confusing. I don't know. I, I I think as a general rule
3: humans bunch together for a reason. Just throughout our whole history we bunch together. Because there's things out there that we don't understand. And where else are they going to be but in the deepest uh, sparsest forested areas. The Places where there's not a lot of people. So, you know, who knows what's out there? It could be
1: anything. And there's, there's tons of missing 411 cases, which if the audience is interested, we could do another episode where I go through some of the other strange ones, like a guy going missing, and then two years later, showing up back at his house with a backpack full of memorabilia from all around the country. And his dad being like, you've been gone for two years. And him being like, I have. Um, so there's other interesting cases like that where the people just randomly show up. Um, uh, but there's one more story I wanted to share about a town plagued with missing 411 cases. And how that led to an entire town turning into a ghost. town.
2: I interrupt this. Broadcast to bring you Ashley saying, it's like all the mystery of the ocean, who's to say something supernatural isn't deep in the forests? And yeah, I mean, think about how many new species of friggin frogs we find on a daily basis not that many it's more like every few years we find a new one but my point stands but we
3: consistently <laughs> find new stuff and especially yeah. with the oceans yeah like we don't know dick about the ocean well
1: if you pay any attention to the Caribbean ever at their their, their place they called the wall uh, on the beach where this wall is where nobody can go down deep enough because it goes past 2000 feet whales will wash up on shore with huge bites taken out
3: chunks out of them yeah so there's, there's speculation that it was a giant squid or something, right? Yes,
1: there is there's just so much we don't know about both our forests and our ocean.
3: Well, that gets even deeper, right? Because there's a there's a whole conspiracy revolving around NASA. NASA's original mission was to explore the oceans. That was their goal. And then uh, they did that for a little while and then decided, nope, we're exploring space instead. So a lot of people think they found something in their exploration in the oceans and are like, no, it's better if we just get off the planet. We don't need to, (laughs) no, we don't need that.
2: A, A small argument there would just be the amount of pressure that you would need to survive once you get so deep down in the ocean. Probably just... Have the technology of the time to build something that could reliably withstand that pressure and And get valuable data back. Yeah, Um, I mean
1: now you know there is the the thing about uh, deep sea uh, people working on oil rigs, which if you know anything about their job, basically their shifts are three months long, and they live in this basically chamber at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, because they're divers, and when you dive down that deep, the pressure you have to acclimate your body to it, and if you come up, what you've been breathing under there is a mixture of uh, is a mixture of helium and oxygen and uh,
0: fuck, the C1. CO2? Yeah. Carbon dioxide? Carbon dioxide.
1: It's a mixture of helium oxygen and carbon dioxide. And if you come up too fast, Basically, what that does is your bloodstream uh, becomes a like a shaken up soda pop. And you can die. So they step into this pressurized chamber and it's set to the pressure that the bottom, the deepest point they're going is. And they live there for three months as their shift. And then they're brought back up and they're off shift for, I think, three months very dangerous very high paying job but now on to this ghost town uh so i don't remember the name of the town um, but it is an island off of the coast of um, uh, alaska so it's okay. a very a very very remote island uh heavily wooded and um, it was basically it was found by somebody but not colonized until later into the colonization period of things. Hmm. Um, But basically, it was a booming fishing port to the point where people thought this was going to be the next fishing export for America. This was a a great place. Uh, But the thing was, dozens of men would go missing and would be found dead floating at the exact same lagoon every single time. Mermaids. Um, but they had claw marks on their body, and so they were like, it's probably a bear. There's probably a gigantic bear in these woods, but the, uh, native people of the island were like, these aren't bear marks. These are not bear claws. This is obviously the claws of a creature that we call, and I don't remember the name of it. I should probably look it up, Um, but it's a certain creature that they have a certain name for, and basically it's a half-man, half-beast, and it walks on two legs and has big claws, kind of like a werewolf. Gotcha. Uh, Really quickly, you said
2: when you started to say it's probably a giant bear in the woods— I thought I thought for sure you were gonna say it's a giant bear in the water. In the water? <laughs> <laughs> I was like There's a, a giant bear, bear out in the
1: water. It's just hunting people down. Well it's a, sea bear. a sea bear. You just gotta draw a circle around yourself, stay in a circle.
2: You gotta make sure it's a circle too. It can't be an oval.
1: <laughs> uh but so um that actually ended up after a couple more disappearances. The entire town was like We don't know what's going on. We don't know if it's a bear or if it's this creature. But there's something going on. So we just need to leave. And every single person in town packed up and left. The mayor stayed a little bit longer and he was by himself. And he said that Ah. he didn't want to stay there any longer than he had to. So literally the day after they left, he just up and left. And this island is so, so scary that nobody goes there anymore except for a few people who accidentally end up there or for some reason want to come into contact with this creature.
2: Hmm. Yeah, because people are stupid.
1: Um, in fact, super... one of the most notable stories of somebody accidentally ending up there was these fishermen who were fishing off the coast of the mainland. And they there was a storm, and they sought solace on this island. And it was super creepy, because uh, they were like, The forest is right behind the town. And they didn't stay in any of the buildings because nobody's there. They're all locked up. So they set up their camp outside the forest. And as soon as they were finished setting up their camp, they looked into the tree line and they said they saw a gigantic two-legged man staring at them from the woods. And they were so scared that they packed up their camp and decided they would rather rather weather the storm and stay out on sea in the middle of this storm than stay on this island with this creature any longer. Hmm.
2: Um. Seems Ashley has some information about the the man beast, the man bear pig. Uh, says in the local dialect of I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Oh, she says she found the article. Huh. Would you look at that? Thank you, Ashley. Um. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word. Let me. Uh, words. Can you? Let me look at the Uh, well, I'll try to the second one, but not the first one. Lutique um, or Nantinak. Nantinak. Yeah, there yeah. you. There you go. I wasn't even going to try to pronounce the first one, because there are so many ways. That's basically
3: that. like a variation of Bigfoot.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much that. Um, and you know this. There's a lot of these stories where. Um, some people one of the most common deaths they're able to actually identify are people actually being squeezed to death like the outside Got of it. their body looks fine but the inside of their body is like mush fun and the only thing that they can say is that for some reason a bear on a whim hugged somebody to death and just squeeze them, or that there's something out there capable of squeezing a human being to death.
2: I mean, we had to get the
1: term "bear hug" from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Goes back to that yesterday's thing where there's where there's a, where there's a little bit of smoke. There has to be a fire somewhere.
2: Yeah,
3: bears gotta hug
1: people at some point, man. Yeah. Uh,
3: so there's a there's a whole side conspiracy for uh, I mean, Bigfoot, that they are actually a race of extraterrestrials. Are you guys aware of that?
1: No, but I'm not surprised.
3: Yeah, it's a
1: whole thing. Um, This may interest you, Cargill, and get your skeptical side going even more. Um, So, David Politis is actually friends with uh, a pretty known scientist who's really, really smart. Um, and she's from Ohio. And she told a story at the end of this documentary. called It's called Missing 411, The Hunted. That's David Politis' uh, documentary. I recommend giving it a watch. It's free on YouTube. Um, but she said she was sitting in her deer stand, and she's close enough to a high school that she can hear the marching band playing during the middle of summer. And she's sitting in her deer stand waiting for deer to come. There's no deer. In fact, the forest is completely silent. No birds, no deer, no animals. As she said she looked across from her. And in the tree line, she saw what looked like a giant piece of uh, cling film. And it was sitting on a tree. And it kind of stretched itself from one, one tree like a blob and attached to that tree and drug itself over to the next tree. So there's oh. a theory that there's basically a predator-like creature out there that is killing these people and that's why nobody's been able to find it. Because it's like clear, see-through, translucent? Or at least has the ability to camouflage itself to be like that.
2: So oh. I, have, I have a few things. The First off, I was gonna say, she's from Ohio. She was raised on corn and meth. <laughs> How smart <laughs> can she be? Um, but that's more of a that's more of a self burned Indiana, if I'm honest. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but also, a tree stand close enough to the high school you can hear the band play. It's not gonna be very effective. Like, well, it also kind of just sounds like ninety percent of the the tree stands down near Blue River. <laughs> <laughs> like. um, but then also, it looked like a piece of cling wrap. It was caught in a tree, and it stretched to the next tree. Kind of sounds like it was a piece of cling wrap that got caught in a tree, and then stretched to the next tree.
1: But it was gigantic.
2: <laughs> well, define di- gigantic.
1: Like, like, too wide, like long enough, obviously, you can stretch out a piece of cling cling wrap that long. But it was too wide to be like a standard cling wrap.
2: I guess it also Mm -hmm. just, it's hard to imagine something like that just based on such a vague description of a gigantic sheet of cling wrap. Uh. It was kind of blob-esque and stretched from one tree to the next like that well, just
1: i assume she hasn't seen any of the predator movies because the way she was describing she us, that's it that's how i would have described it it's mm-hmm. very similar yeah Ashley actually said massive condom <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh,
2: <did> she? <laughs> oh yeah i see that now i was tabbed out of the stream
1: what if somebody just invented a massive condom that had like uh camouflage capabilities? They just
2: I'll, it just turned your,
1: dick invisible. turned your
2: dick invisible. Hell yeah! Oh,
1: well, that was all I had for missing four one one. If you guys have any other input onto what these cases are, uh, any was. other ideas? Ashley said she was my school after all. <laughs> I mean, the amount of condoms we found on the elementary school playground—true,
2: disgusting. Yeah, it was
1: very discomforting um if you guys don't have anything else to add um i'll let you guys speak your piece now but if not we can uh close it out
2: if i don't have anything to add i can speak my piece now okay. if you
1: have something to add speak your piece If not, <laughs> fuck you.
3: um, it's kind of a situation where you're not really gonna know what's what happened, but it's fun to theorize and and
2: For sure. poke around the brain. It it's it's de- and it's definitely one of those things where they're all similar enough
0: that it's that odd. it's,
2: that it's all, uh, that's a little weird, but they're also so different it doesn't feel like there should be one explanation. It seems like
3: it's almost tri- like someone or something trying to be random, but not really succeeding in being random.
0: Yeah. Like it like it has an MO, but yeah. it's trying to throw things off this trail. Um
1: well and some of the ex some of the things are weird. Like if it is like a bunch of just random kidnapping occurrences where they kidnap somebody and kill them, um, they would have to be following people, groups of people in the tree line on these trails. Just mm-hmm. waiting for one of them to randomly split off from the rest. Walk of the group, off, yeah. Which isn't necessarily going to happen. So it's unlikely that it's that.
2: Well, and another thing is, how often when you're like prepping to do something like that, how often are you actually told, "Stick with your group. Yeah. Don't go off alone." Because weird. Bad stuff's gonna happen. Like, that's why you just stake with your group.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty common knowledge.
2: That's why those dudes in the '70s were actually able to get that audio recording because yeah. they, yeah. With their they group. stayed with the fucking
1: group. <laughs> yeah. If, if one of them pretty rushed out there to fail. confront whatever it was, they probably would have died.
2: Ashley, it's not so easy to get separated from your group if you just
1: know what stake you're doing. with your group. If you're, you're on, on the trail. trail. Well, yeah, and that may be why it's so often that somebody's sick or disabled is that those are the people who will take a break from the rest yeah. of the group. They're the
2: ones that will get separated. Children mm-hmm. wander mm-hmm. off. Yeah.
1: So, so yep. and that's why the the like experienced hunters and hikers are the confusing yeah, ones.
2: Yeah, those are real confusing. Well, and to be fair in that aspect too, how often do you hear of uh, an experienced person just getting just a tiny bit too cocky one day and something goes horribly wrong? Yeah. Like, that's like, uh, I was watching a video, I think it was yesterday, about the demon core. A dude was doing experiments with it to try to take it just barely under its critical limit or Curriculum Mass, or whatever it was called, and he was doing this thing, and he just got a little bit too cocky about it and was wanting to show off for the other scientists and severely fucked up. And he ended up dying because of his mistake, because he just got a little bit too cocky.
1: Well, and, and a bunch of these um, companies who, they have rules and regulations, but they don't follow them because they've done it a different, much un- much more dangerous way for years, to save money. Uh, There's a story like that where it was actually a nuclear facility in Japan who they had a list of rules separate from the actual regulations they called the shadow list and uh, basically there was this guy who started working there recently and his job was to pour active waste into a vat well, his job was to actually hold a funnel while somebody above him dumped it into this vat, and uh, oh, yeah. basically something happened where uh, it kind of uh, basically just all of the radiation in this vat came out yeah. at once and went directly through his body, Oof. like there wasn't. It was just a flash of blue light, and he survived.
0: But he was dead for how long? For how long? Well and, and he survived,
2: but he was dead. That's that's a phrase that's shared about the demon core as well.
1: Yeah. He survived but he was dead because, you know, his body wasn't producing cells anymore. Like they had all been killed off and it just wasn't doing it anymore. So he got mm-hmm. to the hospital and um the, he was joking with the doctors like he was fine. Um but As time went on, this is where it gets kind of gross, his skin literally just fell off of him. Like all at once, just fell off of him. And the doctors, because they were like, nobody's been hit with this much radiation before, kept him alive. Wanted to study it? For months. Yeah, they kept him alive for months and resuscitated him. And it got to the point where every time they resuscitated him, he would tell them, stop. Let me die. I want to die I'm in so much pain, just let me die. And eventually, finally, after months of keeping this guy alive with no skin on his body, teeth falling out of his head, his bones disintegrating, they finally put a do not resuscitate order on him.
2: That is exactly what happened to that scientist with the demon core. He got hit with so much radiation, it damaged his the chromosomes in his DNA to where his cells no longer knew how to replicate and create new cells. So, as cells would die off, there were no replacements.
0: So I've got and a question.
2: Yeah, Like, two months later, he was dead.
3: I was looking around, and I wasn't finding any. Are there any of these disappearance stories about, you know, experienced hunters slash military people where they don't end up found dead, where they actually return and
1: are found alive? Um, there was, there's a couple of them, but they're they're weird to the point. Uh, one of them, he went missing, he was an experienced hunter, and he went missing in, like, um, Maine or some shit. And, like, a couple of months later, called his wife from a completely different phone in California. In the middle of a field. And was like, "Hey, I don't know where I am. Can you come pick me up?" And that's he, where he was. Was in California, from Maine to California on foot somehow in like three months. That's not that's just impossible, is Gump. it?
3: I don't think it's possible. Just Gump. Can you? I was gonna say that's a really far. That's like two thousand miles. That's an almost impossible
2: the distance to walk in three months. Uh, oh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm pulling up Google Maps, (laughs) and I'm gonna find the westernmost location in Maine that I can, southwesternmost location, and I'm gonna go all the way down to the, like, northeasternmost part of California to try to get the shortest distance possible.
3: I think it's, like, 2,000 miles from coast to coast, right? And going diagonal, it's probably more. It's probably closer to twenty two hundred, twenty three
1: hundred. That that stuff is like just basically torture. Actually, I don't understand. It, yeah, why. I agree. I don't understand why you would want to keep somebody on life support for that long. I mean, my grandpa, when when he had cancer, uh, he basically just after figuring out he he had uh, stage four in two places and stage three in his throat and his esophagus. Oof. And when he found that out, he was like, I'm not going to go through treatment. I just, this is, this is my end. And he just basically let himself die instead of going through years of them trying to keep him alive.
3: Yeah. See, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Like if I find out that, you know, I could have a few years before I died, unless I want to do all these drastic treatments that are going to keep me alive for double, maybe triple the time, but I'm going to feel all the entire time?
0: Yeah.
3: Fuck that. Or like with life support, right? If I'm or like in a coma or seemingly brain dead, keep me alive long enough to get to the point where you're ready to let me go, but I do not want to be kept alive in a bed on a machine.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: At that point, just let me let me die. I'm fine with
2: it.
0: Did you find anything, Cogs?
2: Uh, so to walk from Lebanon Maine to Mountain Pass California which are which is the shortest distance i could find is 38 days 1 hour so 3 months isn't that far fetched based on that
1: but it's still a crazy distance
2: oh for sure
1: and
3: especially when... without the 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 gear the The stuff to sustain you for that distance.
1: Well, and to not know how you got there. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's similar to Linda and Eddie, who were just like, we don't know how we ended up where we were. Yeah, there's a lot of cases like that. Um, There's actually one. um, There's one story that's really long that fits into this thing that I would have to do a completely separate uh, episode about. It's called Headless Valley. Uh, It is in uh, Canada. In literally the most, the densest forested part of Canada, there's a place called Headless Valley that nobody goes anymore for a very specific reason, and it has to do with why it's called Headless Valley. Uh, But if you want to hear an episode about that, let us know. Um, There is, uh, we got a Patreon now. You don't got to pay, everything's free. Just uh, if you want to pay, it's like $3 for the base, $13 for the second, but 10 of that goes to charity. Uh, follow us all on Twitter. Uh, follow us all on Twitch
0: if you want to.
1: Uh, follow Hit. us on TikTok if you want to. Um, and other than that, have a good night, everybody. Yeah. Um, we'll see you
0: next two weeks. Bye. Bye.